They don't care about your 900 years of combined experience or your wall of books. They only want to know one thing. Once they've signed on the dotted line, are you going to take care of them? Welcome to the Judge Shaw way, where we believe providing an exceptional client experience is just as important as quality legal representation. From secret tips for creating unforgettable wow moments to proven customer service pointers, the Judge Shaw way is everything you need to go from being a good lawyer to owning a great brand. Hi, everyone. I'm Judge Shaw, host of the Judge Shaw Way podcast. This season's podcast focuses on the experience a client has with a lawyer or law firm, more specifically, how to go about creating, implementing, and delivering a first-class experience to the client. Today's topic, You Don't Know What You Don't Know, really discusses on how consulting can help a law firm become more data reports-driven, scalable, and, and still maintain focus on the client. Here to help me understand more about personal injury law firm consulting is Tim Mackey of Vista Consulting. Many of you may have heard my podcast with Chad Dudley of Dudley DeBosier, Louisiana's largest personal injury law firm. In 2009, Tim and Chad Dudley co-founded Vista with the aim to help personal injury law firms grow. Uh, since that time, Tim has acquired Chad's share of Vista and um, will now help us sort of with this conversation. We're going to get to get really into the, the nitty gritty of operations now. Many of the conversations, as you know, have focused in the podcast of how to deliver that client experience. This really conversation focuses on sort of under the hood and how to get to that part. So I hope you really enjoy the conversation. I'm here with Tim Mackey of Vista Consulting. Welcome, Tim. Thank you so much. Uh, happy to be here. Tim, where are you now? In Baton Rouge, Louisiana? I am right now as we speak in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, I don't know if I'm lucky enough or unlucky enough to, to travel the country a lot, <laughs> but uh, currently I'm at home in Baton Rouge. Tell us um, a little about Vista. Yeah, yeah. And um, in, uh, in your opening, and I hope the, uh, the attendees heard it, uh, Vista was formed uh, with my good friend, uh, Chad Dudley, who is a lawyer here in Louisiana. We were working, we being my firm uh, pre-Chad, was working with a personal injury law firm here in Louisiana and uh, just examining their operations. Um, if my background is I'm a CPA, so um, we, we tend to come at things with measurements and looking at numbers and that kind of thing. And I uh, got to a point in my CPA career that we converted that practice to a consultancy. And, and I say we went from just keeping the score to help affect the score. And part of that look and to help affect the score is to try to understand how uh, businesses work, in this case, a personal injury law firm. And we got under the hood, as, as you say, and just began asking questions and trying to understand what the, um, the pipeline was in the personal injury space of how a case was attracted, how it got converted, for a potential client got, got converted from a potential client to an actual client then how the case was handled and matriculated through the firm and came out the end in some type of resolution. And um, we started doing that and with this particular firm and started to get real traction and got to a point where that firm needed to hire someone in-house to actually run their operation. And um, I happened to know Chad. Uh, so I talked to Chad. He's a practice, he was a practicing lawyer with another firm, but he came into this firm 
and he took what we were doing with, uh, I'll say in a very, uh, that we were doing very rudimentary with uh, spreadsheets and tick marks and things like that. Chad said, hey, we can automate these things. And we began automating reports, automating ways to, um, to hold our team members accountable to the policies and procedures, not in a big brother way, but in a, in a coaching way. And um, one thing led to another, and uh, we formed a business, uh, uh, Chad and I, that delivered this service to firms across the country. And so that's kind of the real quick story of Vista, but, but we really are an operational consulting firm. We do get into strategy also, but what are best practices in attracting clients, converting them, or attracting leads or creating leads, converting those to clients, and then effectively and efficiently moving those clients through the firm. So in a nutshell, that's Vista. You know, I, I, I do find uh, it really interesting, Tim, that you have your background as a CPA. I think that really gives you an advantage on that consulting side because, you know, going into law, I never realized how much numbers were going to matter, right? I knew that the client had to have a good experience. You had to offer high quality legal representation. What does that mean in terms of the legal work? But as you scale and grow, the data, the numbers really start to matter in assessing these things. And so you really sort of have that leg up, if you would. But I contact you, Tim, and I say, um, you know, I'm a law firm and uh, everything from I'd like to grow or I'm, I'm having a bottleneck, right? I, I can't move cases from intake to settlement fast enough. Is that the A to Z? And then what does what does Vista do in response to that inquiry? Well, um, it, it is somewhat of A to Z, but I'm going to augment it to uh, like on an Excel spreadsheet where you have AA, BB, CC. I'm going to expand that a little bit because we sometimes uh, or all the time, we will not say efficient without saying effective uh, because just being fast for fast sake sometimes is not good. We, as you know, sometimes cases need to ripen. They need to um, be worked up. And so we don't want to just be fast. We want to be able to identify cases that need to be worked up. So let me take you back to, to I think, your, your question. If someone called me and said, hey, we're having um, efficiency problems uh, with our firm, we're not moving our cases fast enough, we will certainly say, hey, you know, just as I went through that, Maybe not speed is not everything, but let's look at, you know, how you're doing it now. In other words, we can't come into a firm and just start saying you need to do this, that or the other. What we do and we think it's, it's the best model is to understand what the firms are doing now and then actually discover what the real bottlenecks are. I mean, if they gave us a call, they may know that, hey, we have a bottleneck, but they don't know what it is. So we actually peel back that onion and say, okay, tell me how things are working with your firm. And we start with, you know, um, how did the lead get here? How, you know, are you tracking how many leads you get? How many of those leads do you want? How many of those do you actually convert? Goes back to what you said about numbers. And I I will address a little bit my CPA background here. I wish I could tell you it was absolutely planned that I would be a CPA and then get into operational consulting that could not be further from the truth. You know, uh, it it worked out that way, but it wasn't the plan. Having to to do some CPA things that were very uh, mundane and cumbersome to me 
is what made me look, you know, to expand that into, as we said, help uh, affect the score and not just keep the score. So again, trying to answer your question, if somebody called, first of all, we want to assess. And sometimes people say, I have a problem in intake. I have a problem in case management. Hey, we're not, um, we're, we don't have the best customer service uh, protocols. Can you help us with that? So we look at lots of different areas of business, of the law firm. And again, it's identifying bottlenecks where our work is inherently critical, but we don't come with a cookie cutter is what I'm really saying is we want to understand what your firm is doing and then hopefully have some tweaks to de-bottleneck those areas and to be able to identify those cases that need to be worked up. And then we work into how, how to do that. What are some of the things that, that you should do to uh, evaluate cases? And again, we are all about the business of running a law firm, not the practice of law. But we believe that there are questions that should be asked on every case that will unfold, if you will, how that case could be handled better. So we want to make sure that certain questions are asked. We want to make sure that certain procedures are followed. And we help set up a system that, um, that the firm is already using. Maybe we de-bottleneck de some things. But we also want an accountability system to where you can, management can say, hey, you know, uh, we are following our procedures and they're good procedures. So if not, we're just guessing. So I hope that probably a long-winded answer to a short question, but that's our belief. I think it's all important and there's a lot there, right? And, uh, you know, I've been at some, I've had the, the privilege and the honor of attending some, some great VISTA events. Love the socialization among colleagues and, and picking the brains of just some really great lawyers and, and learning from some fantastic law firms and companies. So there's, there's certainly a lot of fun that goes on at a VISTA event. I can assure you that. But, you know, we're there to learn something. And, and with all that, tell me about the team, because I also found that a real big plus on VISTA is that being that there's so many facets of consulting in a personal injury, whether it be the ability to retain leads, the marketing of it, the financials of it, um, you know, the case management of it, the, the medical side of it, you know, the, all, all of the things that go into it, you have a big team. And it seems to me that they specialize in their, you know, different niche and able to sort of come together to offer a, a big picture holistic approach. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about our, our team for a second. And, um, you know, um, I've been very blessed with what I call a group of thoroughbred consultants. Uh, every one of the consultants that work with us have come up through a law firm environment where their terminology and their lingo, you know, they know those things when they get to us. And um, we had, I had a client the other day say, hey, I think you guys' special sauce is how you help analyze data. And I said, well, yeah, that's right. But I think our special sauce is our, our consultants, our people who have a real passion to uh, help analyze data, to help set up workflow to get data. Are we specialized in, in specific areas? I would say yes and no. Most of our people have worked in lots of different areas of law firms. Another a, a good thing about Vista, and I wasn't intending to, and this is not a sales pitch, uh, but what when you hire Vista, you get all of our consultants because even though we have a consultant that quarterbacks a client, uh, once a week we get we all we have a meeting where if anyone is stuck or has a specific issue, 
that issue with a client, that issue is thrown on the table for everyone to talk about. And it's, you know, to see it is really a beautiful thing uh, because we have people coming from different perspectives. Hey, I've seen this here, seen this there. I think this will work best with this client. And I, and I think I said earlier, we do not bring a cookie cutter to a law firm and say, this is the absolute Vista way to do things because people are different. Systems are sometimes ingrained that are different, and we want to tweak those. We don't want to overhaul anything and say, hey, this is the absolute best way. What we want to say, this is the best way for the Judge Shaw law firm. This is the best way for this law firm. Again, everyone's different. There's personalities to get involved. But again, our team, I, I would, they're just, you know, I'm actually in awe of them. I have the responsibility, if you will, to be the straw that stirs the drink with, these, with this group and gets them hopefully in the right place with the right client. Uh, our secret sauce is our team. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 we had a culture statement um, for years, and it has since been modified as we grow, right, to sort of always stay on mission and live to our core values. And the opening of that always discussed the secret sauce. And I used that term when I had described my team, and I feel that way about mine. But um, let me ask you this. So I, I want to create an environment in which the team can deliver the high quality legal representation and a first class client experience, the promise we make to our clients, right? What's the litmus test in knowing whether, you know, I do have that culture? I, I think it is you know, talking to your team about culture and, and not shying away from that, you know. What's the good, bad, and the ugly? We, when we work with law firms, we advise them. Well, first of all, when we come in, we, we have a questionnaire that the entire team completes. So we ask about culture. What is the culture of your firm? And we get lots of different answers to that. Some of it is, uh, you know, it's very financially driven. It's, uh, you know, do the best work for our client. It's, uh, you know, rarely, though, do we hear, you know, that it's a fun environment. Sometimes we do. But we want to be all of those things. We want to be able to deliver high quality service and have a good environment to do so. So I think it is just um, kind of what I said earlier, before you can change things, you have to know where you are. You can't just come in and say, hey, we're going to create a new culture. Well, let's find out you know, what your, where your team thinks you are that, today. And then also, you know, what kind of environment is it that you really want? And, uh, you know, we can't say that, that again, just like any other thing, the, these um, cultures different from firm to firm. But I, I think it's universal that the team wants to enjoy what they're doing, understand clearly what their job descriptions are, what their deliverables are, so they can hit those. We have a, a phrase in Vista that we use all the time that if uh, your team member is not happy or not performing well, it's, it's, we have to say, have we given them as managers and leaders, have we given them the tools to do their job, the training to do their job, and have we very clearly explained our expectations? And of course, those expectations need to be reasonable. And our experience is if we're able to give team members those three things, tools, training, clear expectations, then it fosters a good culture. You know, we're not trying to work people to death. And I, and I'm, I, for one, I often say, I don't want to be the richest guy in the graveyard. So this is not just about making money. It's about enjoying what we do 
and then figuring out what that is. Is it a is it a lunch and learn on a Friday with pizza that that you know we're we're learning, but it's also fun. The fellowship is good and that type of thing. So evaluating culture is is the first step, deciding what you want your culture to be, and then move, setting the action steps to get you there. And let your team lead on that too. You can't force culture down people's throat. <laughs> yeah. So you don't know what you don't know, right? And uh, I noticed that you had mentioned about the team sort of identifying bottlenecks or issues. And I often do that on you know, I have a, I, I have a Monday meeting with my different departments. And one of those questions is always like, OK, so bottlenecks issues or otherwise, you know, what's going on? Sometimes the bottleneck is that the person doesn't know they have a bottleneck or they can sense they have an issue. It's really hard to figure out why are they having an issue or where is that issue coming from? What's the best way of dealing with that? Yeah, I think um, I think uh, that possibly could be a reporting issue. You know, and I'm going to just use an example. And if if there's an expectation of a certain number of demands to go out in a certain period of time and um, and, you know, one team is doing better than the other. And we can say, hey, that the the team that's not doing as well has some type of bottleneck. Sometimes they don't know what's really expected. First of all, we have to define what's expected to see if we're meeting that to see if we have a potential bottleneck. So uh, we believe in being as transparent as we can with our team in what our targets really are so they can monitor themselves first. And then if someone or some team is not performing as well, we want to dig in and find out what the reason is. And there's a and there's a big difference, in my opinion, between reasons and excuses. (laughs) Okay, reasons can be. You know, I've been out for a couple of days because my mom's in the hospital or, you know, we've had um, some unusual circumstance with a case that diverted our attention that we should have been doing that. That was our priority. So being an accountant, you know, I was taught early on that numbers don't lie, but I propose to you that numbers can lie all the time if you do not get behind those numbers. And that's where I think, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Hey, if someone, if our target is 10 demands in a certain period of time and someone hits five, we can point at that number and say they did not hit the goal. But if we go back and look and we see that that one of those demands was on a $3 million case and it was complicated and blah, 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 we have to get behind those. We can't simply jump to conclusions, but having the adequate reports is is very, very important. And I'm going to give one other analogy and then I'll go to the next question is that in the academic world, which most of us uh, were brought up in, we're always given enough data from which to solve a problem. In the real world, most of the time, getting the data is the problem. If we have the data, then we can make well-informed decisions to solve issues. So like I said, if, if a team member does not know that they're not performing well by some objective measure, and we don't have any way to measure that objectively, we need to get one because that will help us then solve the problem. So, um, you know, identifying is important. Uh, Tim, you know, I, I some of the members I, I see from my firm that uh, have joined in the in the discussion today really have been affected by the pandemic, dealing with their function, right? So, if it's somebody whose job it is is to 
you know, uh, represent, for instance, a medical provider. We do a lot of um, arbitration work in which we're representing medical providers seeking repayment from insurance companies, you know, for benefits that were on, uh, you know, unreasonably, unlawfully, whatever denied. And now less people are treating because the doctor's offices were closed for the longest time. And mm-hmm. so people couldn't go to the doctor and the doctors didn't have claims to submit. And therefore, we don't have the claims to go after the carrier, right? So business can be affected in different ways. And in, in doing that, other than the frustration that we can't get our clients to get medical care for which they badly need it, right? There's also the business side of it, which means that now less treatment of these of these cases where our clients are getting hurt, our clients, the, the medical providers themselves have less business, right? And so we have a goal and the goal is 10 of 10 X of something. And by, you know, here we are in June, right? And now you're like, we're three, we're not even five. Mm -hmm. What do you do in terms of, you know, both company morale, right? The fact is you may not hit 10. Mm -hmm. How do you adjust the number to set, to acknowledge it? And now when you know that you're not going to hit it, do you do a different number? How do you deal with, with these things, because a lot of these things go into budgets and they go into quotas and numbers and bonuses and things of this nature, right? There's a lot that goes into it, but I know that sometimes my team is frustrated by the inability to maybe perhaps hit their goals, but that's really has no control. They, they, you know, they're, they're, it's not their fault. No, absolutely. And, we, and we've run into some of that type thing with, with our clients uh, across the country. And the one thing I think that, that we want to at least have a discussion about is potentially adjusting those goals. But there's also some other things that go into that. And I, I want to try to explain this. We may be in a downtime now because of the things that you mentioned. But are we doing, have we shifted our work to maximizing what will happen when this situation passes. And what I'm and I'm going to use an example that you gave. If someone can't get to the doctor for treatment, they should absolutely we should be coaching them. And remember, we're we're attorneys and counselors. Sometimes we forget that counseling part. Okay. So if you can't get to the doctor, you know, to have treatment or whatever, are you number one, have you talked to them to say, what can I be doing at home? To, to the exercises or whatever therapy, what can I be doing myself? Are they journaling that? Are they making records of those things? That's not going to necessarily speed up the resolution of the case because that's out of our control if courts are closed and arbitrations and mediations aren't happening. But what we're doing is preserving value. And if we don't preserve value, we don't preserve the value that will come when the case resolved. So you know, we actually worked with our clients and developed a whole different set of remote uh, capabilities, if you will, for our clients, some of which was I mentioned journaling, you know, noting the things that you're unable to do that you were able to do before on a day to day basis. You know, some of these things we should have should be doing anyway, but it should be exacerbated if we can't get our clients uh, to the medical treatment facilities and we can't get to the courts. So my theory is, and the only way that my theory is going to be proven right or wrong is that we should be expanding this reservoir that's behind our dam and our dam being when the case closes, whether it resolves in some manner or not. That reservoir should be actually bigger today than it was pre-COVID because we've stockpiled certain things. 
but we can't just let those fish in that reservoir atrophy. We have to be doing things with them, reminding them of certain things. So it's a whole different outlook. You know, I, I hope, and I think we all do, that we come out of this and the water will flow freely over the dam again. But we're not cultivating what's there now. We're going to ultimately lose value. And I'm going to say one other thing, and, and this is just, uh, it's a little bit anecdotal in what we've seen with our clients across the country. There have been fewer cases coming into uh, personal injury law firms. It's down, and then people can say different percentages, but it, it, overall it's down. But the ones that are coming, for some reason, seem to have more value. It has, it, you know, the, the, the people that are coming in have seem to have more serious issues, therefore value goes up. It's very anecdotal, but, but we're seeing it almost as a system. When we go into firms now and we're talking to them about what type cases and the numbers that they have, and we ask, you know, let's look at your average case values. First of all, they have to have good measurements to be able to tell that. But when we get to them, they've actually gone up a little uh, through the pandemic, which is which is interesting. Fewer cases, but a higher value. So um, I hope that helps a little bit, at least the thought yeah, process. You know, um, it, it really does. And when we're talking about value, right, maximizing compensation is really sort of what we're trying to do on the legal side of it, right? Uh, offering a really good experience for the, for the client, the customer, but also making sure that we put the most money possible in their pocket. We do our job. When, in your experience traveling around the country and seeing all these firms, people are dealing with case values differently. Really, where are you? Where are the pain points that you find that could either not only decrease the value of a case, but just sort of avoid the the ability to maximize it, right? And and what are the kind of things that you're you're making those suggestions? I mean, what are you seeing in common? Yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, you've probably heard me say before, there's two ways to grow a law firm, which is get more clients and increase case value. So we're going to zoom in on case values for just a second. And um, one of our consultants said one time that, uh, that the drop the mic moment on increasing case values is contacting your client and staying in contact with them because nothing bad can happen. You know, um, and you probably also know that that just about 90% of malpractice cases in this country come from the client not being able, not being in contact with their attorney. We propose that uh, there should be proactive contact with clients through the life of the case. And that you're always asking, you know, how are you doing, of course, any new providers, any new uh, symptoms, anything like that. And so we have actually have, a, uh, I think it's four or five questions that we want to get answered when we talk to clients who are treating and then after treatment, et cetera. And I'll, I will tell you, too, that we want that particular contact not to be through an email or a text message. That particular contact should be by Zoom or phone. And there's a reason for that. A lot of times a client will say, I'm fine. And you, if you get that through text, you read it as I'm fine. If the client says, yeah, I'm fine, you want to pursue that. You know, what's going on? You know, is there some hesitancy there? And, and we've actually had, had some experiences where a client says, you know, I feel like I'm getting better, but I'm also having some tingling here. And then, oh my gosh, tingling, what could that mean? And so if you are not contacting that client and listening closely 
to how they respond, then in our opinion, you're not getting the most value out of your cases. Because you know, one of the questions we ask legal assistants, uh, paralegals, case managers, whatever the, the terminology is for your support group, is how much time do you spend responding to client calls that are checking on their case? And we have heard from hey, 10% of my day to 75% of my day. And if we hear those higher numbers, what that's telling us is we're playing defense instead of offense. We're not asking those questions that we should be asking that can drive value of cases because we're just simply not getting that information. And if you wait too long to do that, you know, you lose the opportunity to, I'm not going to use the term medically manage, but advise on what they should be doing, what the client should be doing. That's our counselor hat again. And those are the things that drive case values. Hey, you know, have you talked to your your doctor? You've got tingling about an MRI. Has he even considered injections? And we're not managing them. We're just being what we say we should be, their advocate to get them to ask questions. And that drives case value. You know, one of the questions I have for you, really, Tim, in talking about, you know, really the effect of all of this comes down to your frontline worker, right? Your team member who are the ones who are really carrying out that message. And they're the ones who have to listen for the, the, you know, the word radiating, have to recognize an active listening that when the client says, oh, I'm fine, that really means maybe I'm not so fine, right? Or looking at the data and saying, why are my numbers down? Or, you know, or even why are they up? You know, what am I doing really well? How can I do more of that, right? Um, and it's always not ne- necessarily a negative, but, but really sort of, captivating a positive here. What are the what are the kind of questions that really should be asked to the team individually in knowing whether they have both those, I should say the three things that you had mentioned, right? Which is training, the knowledge of it, and really the environment to be able to do it. No, I, I think you know we we should continually ask our team do you know do are they or, or ask ourselves first have we given our team the training the, the tools to their job have we trained them and what do they clearly understand expectations and that's the one Judd that I think we we forget a lot and you know expectations of numbers uh, I'm not going to say quotas that's not what we want just what's expected and then being able to have them track their numbers themselves to know whether they're doing well or not, and having a system where you can do that. And that's why, you know, we we often say now that it's not enough for a team member to simply do their job. They have to do their job and they have to document that they did their job. Because if they don't document it, then there is really no, we're managing by guessing. And that's, that just can't happen. It's not fair to the team member. Everything is anecdotal, it's subjective measurements. And I'm not saying we shouldn't ever use subjective measurements, but the more objective we can make things, the better it is because they're just objective things are just easy to see. I would propose to you on on the flip side of that, though, that the subjective things, the tenor in which you ask questions, the caring that comes across the phone when you're talking to someone is, is a subjective measurement. And I think we should do that, too. You know, I think the subjectivity, the subjective things in our lives are the most important. You know, I can say, you know, if somebody asks me how much do I love my wife, I don't say, hey, it's about a seven. 
you know, it's a, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to say what that is, right? I mean, it's hard to objectify some things, but we, that doesn't mean we can't. We we advise our 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 clients to do what we call a, a performance attitude analysis of every team member, which is, hey, how are you performing objectively, and what's your attitude like? You know, how, what's their attitude like? Because you know, one one bad apple in the attitude area can spoil um, a whole barrel, right? So. Uh, and we're not looking for the bad. We're actually looking for the good. But if someone is having some issues, we want to find out what those issues are. It might be as simple as my chair is uncomfortable or who knows what it is. But if we don't ask those questions that as leaders and managers, we've got to understand what our team is feeling. And if we don't ask, we're not going to get that information. So that's a yeah, I, I love the idea that it's the expectations, right? What is expecting me and, and and what do you want from me? It's like the virtual scoreboard, right? What does a win look like in a role or function? If we don't define that, you know, for our team, I think we failed as leaders and managers. Um, yeah. We just have. So, All right. So I have to ask as I wrap up here, Tim, because I think that I was set up once by by, by people that you may know, I, I was with uh, Mickey Love. And as you know, Mickey Love is the uh, the president of CJ Advertising, who's now with Chad Dudley. And she knew that I was go- flying to Texas and I was going to go to a Vista consulting event and I was going to go see you. And she said, tell Tim, I said, happy birthday. Oh, and uh, later I, I realized, you know, I was going to go get you a present and I was going to sing birthday dinner for you, a cake and something. And it didn't seem like it was really your birthday. What was that about? This is so far off the subject, guys, but I'll I'll tell you anyway, and I'll do it without using the words. Mickey and I are, are old friends, and we happened to be at a, working together at a time on a mutual client, and I was driving a vehicle to the client's office, and we were in a, a city that neither of us had really ever been, and I pulled up to right to the front door of the client's office, and I, and I said to Mickey, I said, hey, I, I was pretty good. I made this without one wrong turn, and she told me, she said, Tim, if this consulting gig doesn't work out for you, you can be an Uber driver. And, uh, and my comment was to her was, Mickey, I've got two words for you, and they're not happy birthday. So you guys can figure out what those two very short words are. Second, so now, word, now I have second it. word is you. That's <laughs> it. So now I, got, now I got the message that I was delivering to you from, 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 from Tennessee to Texas. Got it. In a very good-natured, lovable way. So. Uh, if you want to reach out to Tim, his email is tim at v-i-s-t-a-c-t.com. That's vistact.com. Uh, you can also reach him at 225-383-2974. That's 225-383-2974. Tim of Vista Consulting, an amazing consulting group out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, really dedicated to personal injury uh, law firms and helping them grow and scale. Tim, thank you so much for being a guest. And uh, it was really incredible, really great information and a reminder how much of um, the client experience really sort of starts with with the team and the data behind it. Yeah, Judd, I'm going to say one thing in closing that you used a word that I really like. It's reminded a lot. There's a there's a or was a theologian back in the 1700s that said, something that, that it really is very, very true. He said, sometimes we don't need to be taught. We simply need to be reminded. And a lot of what we do is remind people about best practices. 
and how to hold people accountable and those type things. So there's nothing new under the sun. There's, um, you know, there's best practices and being reminded to continue to do those consistency is how firms scale. And that's, uh, that's our job is to hold people accountable. So thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Tim, thank you. And as always, you can reach out to me with any questions or feedback, positive or negative. Any type of feedback really always helps me um, know what topics are most important to you and, and the subject of building first-class client experience within your company. Certainly, you can reach me at podcast at juddshawinjurylaw.com. And uh, be sure to request some swag in your email, and we'll be happy to send you some merch from my law firm. Thanks again for listening to the Judge Shaw Way podcast. Are you ready to take the next step to creating an unforgettable brand? Subscribe to the Judge Shaw Way in your favorite podcast app and join the conversation on social media at Judge Shaw Injury Law. Have topic suggestions or questions? Email us at podcast at juddshawinjurylaw.com and be sure to include an address where we can send you some cool swag. Attorney Advertising Materials. This podcast is designed for general information purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as legal advice for an individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and viewing does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No aspect of this advertisement has been approved by the Supreme Court. Any results set forth herein are based upon the facts of that particular case and do not represent a promise or guarantee. Those with legal questions should seek the advice of an attorney.